Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Freely Nourish, the podcast that empowers you to break the cycle of dieting by teaching you to nourish your body well. I'm your host, registered dietitian, Erin Kesey, and I am also the owner of New You Nutrition Counseling, where we believe that you can reach all of your healthcare goals at just about any body size. So if you are ready to let go of that toxic and shameful cycle of dieting that has been holding you hostage for maybe the last year or two, maybe the the last several decades, um, then join us on your journey to freedom around food, to feel free to enjoy your favorite foods, to not feel shame or guilt about them, but also to feel better in your body, to feel healthier in your body and to reach whatever your healthcare goals may be. Uh, I will put the link below. You are welcome to book a discovery call with us. That is just a chance to sit down, go through our options, see what might be the best plan or price for you. And also, So to kind of just get a feel for what it is that you're looking for some help with and how we might be able to plug in and help. Um, So today I wanted to talk to you about something that um, hopefully this is kind of a fun one. Um, I think that um, a lot of times people kind of, you know, if I say like, hey, do you have any questions? Do you know this? Do you want, you know, how can I help with that? A lot of times people don't know the questions to ask because there are a lot of things, particularly in the field of nutrition, that I think we have just kind of taken as conventional knowledge and just kind of assumed it to be true. Um, And I will say that the reason research does change. So kind of one of the things we'll get into is, you know, for example, egg yolks and cholesterol. Um, there were things that we at one point thought were true and have since learned are not true. So those are, those are things that are kind of, we have just learned along the way as science has evolved. Um, there's also just frankly, a lot of outright lies out there. Um, there are a lot of things that, um, that, you know, we, we kind of assume to be true. They sound moderately scientific, but frankly, they're just, they're false. Um, they're, they're myths and they're not reflected in the science, despite how heavily they are portrayed or pushed in the media. Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to talk through today is just some nutrition myths, because I think a lot of times people honestly make their, their food journey a lot harder than it needs to be because they are restricting themselves more than they need to because they're assuming that some of these things are true when frankly they are just not. Um, so kind of once you learn the truth, it opens a lot of doors of like, oh, well, I thought I couldn't eat this, that, or the other thing, but it turns out I actually can. Um, and that creates a lot of opportunity for me to provide better nourishment for myself because I'm not so restricted. Um, so I kind of just brainstormed a couple of the most common myths that I hear. Um, but I would love to hear from you. Um, you know, kind of, I think this might kind of get your juices flowing. Um, Hopefully you learn something new, but I would also just love to hear what other myths or even just things that you're not sure whether or not that's true. Um, leave me a comment below. Um, give me, shoot me a message on social media. I would just love to connect with you and kind of hear what your experience has been. Um, and we could potentially do a part two to this. Um, so coming in hot, first thing I, I always hear is that carbs are bad for you. Carbs cause weight gain. Um, if you want to lose weight, you have to cut carbs, all of this kind of, of nonsense. Um, we, I would say in the last year or two, the world is starting to understand that that is just not true at all. <laughs> Your body really does need carbs. Um, but I also just want to be clear that I think it has skewed to an extent, this dialogue around carbs has kind of skewed our idea of 
how many carbs we should be eating. Um, to be clear, your brain alone needs 120 grams of carbs per day just to function normally. So like 120 is like the lowest you should go. Obviously, we're humans, right? We have adopted to survive in the midst of famines, of food shortages, and things like that. We can live without carbohydrates, okay? We, or at least for a period of time, we can live without carbohydrates. That does not mean we thrive, <laughs> okay? It does not mean we are meant to. It means that, yes, because we had to, we adapted and evolved strategies to survive without them. However, we do significantly better when they are part of our diet. Um, and I would say all humans need over, you know, at least 120 grams of carbohydrates per day. Most people need 200, if not 300 grams of carbs per day, just to kind of maintain their overall health. So when you're looking at that bagel that has like 50 grams of carbs of pasta that has like 30 to 40 grams per serving, like those are normal things to eat and it is okay. Okay. Um, I think that is kind of myth number one that I want to dispel. We have so many ways to break down and utilize carbohydrates because they are our preferred fuel source, um, which I think kind of leads me into my second one, which is that if you don't feed your body carbs and you, you know, don't feed it, um, and it can't have that preferred fuel source that it somehow then has to default to fat burning, to an extent that is true, our alternate fuel source is going to be fat. That part's true. It is not going to be the fat on your stomach or your thighs or like the areas that you want your extra fat pads to shrink. That's not the fat that it's using. It's taking the fat that you're ingesting and using fat. And frankly, what it's doing is converting it to carbs and then using it. Um, that is, that is the way your metabolism works. Um, there is some, you know, truth to the you know whole role of ketosis and things like that. But again, the fat that we're burning is the fat that you're eating. It is not the fat that is just like sitting in places on your body that you would prefer it not sit. Okay. Um, I think that's, um, and frankly, the, the thing that suffers the most when you do that is your muscles. So your muscles are far and away the biggest energy sink and the biggest carb sink um, of your of your entire body. I think when we think of muscles, a lot of people associate protein. And that's true. We do need protein to build muscle fibers. But in order for your muscles to function, and I'm not just talking about like lifting heavy weights and things like that. In order for your legs to walk you from here to the bathroom, you need glycogen in those muscles to move those muscles. And that glycogen is carbohydrate. Um, in order for those muscles to function well, to be healthy, to not break down, to prevent injury, you need adequate fuel stores on board. That means carbs. Okay. Um, if you deprive your body of carbs, those sores will shrink. You will lose weight because they are also pulling water away from your muscles. And that just means that your muscles are going to be shriveled up, sad little raisins that aren't going to function very well. They're going to be more sore, more prone to injury, less effective, less strong, um, and, and frankly, it's, it's just not a, a fun way to live. <laughs> so, um, carbs are definitely not a proponent of weight gain. Um, if you cut carbs and lose weight quickly, um, and similarly, then if you eat carbs again and gain that weight back, that has to do with those glycogen stores disappearing and the water disappearing with them. You are not losing fat mass by losing carbs or by not eating carbs. Okay. Um, you are losing muscle mass and the water in your muscles that needs to be there. That said, when you eat the carbs, yeah, you're 
raisins become nice and plump, juicy little grapes again, and they function the way they're supposed to, that's not fat loss. That's not the loss that we want to see. That's muscle loss. And it's frankly harmful. Um, so carbs are good for you. If you deprive your body of carbs, you're not burning the fat that you think you are. You are burning, um, you know, the fat that you were eating. Um, and the same way you're not losing the fat. Like if you lose weight, you're not losing fat, you're losing your muscles and that's not good. Um, let's see the, let's see the second or third one, I guess that I tend to hear a lot is that you shouldn't eat after a certain time at night. This has kind of come from the, um, intermittent fasting era, I would say. And, um, you know, to, to an extent, there is some truth in the fact that the hormones and metabolic processes that drive sleep directly counteract the metabolic processes that drive digestion. So digestion and sleep inhibit each other, if that makes sense. So some people may notice that if they eat right before they go to bed or eat a large meal right before they go to bed, they may wake up the next morning and their stomach is kind of sour. Other people may notice that they don't sleep well if they eat a large meal before bed. That is because the hormones that your body is requiring for digestion are either directly inhibiting your sleep, but the digestion is happening or the hormones that your body needs for sleep are doing well, but the digestion is not happening, right? So that might be a sour stomach kind of situation. So to an extent, there's some truth in that, but that is not the myth that is perpetuated. The myth that is perpetuated is that if you um, eat a large meal before you go to bed, your body has no use for those calories and therefore all those calories turn to fat. That is not true, okay? I always tell people, at least two thirds of the calories your body needs in a day have nothing to do with your activity. It has everything to do with everything else that your body does to keep you alive. Um, so if somebody needs, you know, say 2000 calories in a day, 1500 calories of that have nothing to do with their activity. They could be a vegetable on the couch and they still need 1500 calories just to be alive. Now, again, of course we can under eat by that. Your body has mechanisms to deal with that. They're not healthful and they're not great to continue long-term, but you will ultimately survive. But the idea that your body's just going to turn all of this food that you just ate into fat that's not true at all. Um, if anything, it's going to utilize it for all these restorative processes that your body is working, even though you're asleep, right? Like last time I checked, our hearts don't stop beating. Our lungs don't stop breathing. Our muscle cells don't stop repairing themselves. Our bones don't stop repairing themselves. Um, our brain honestly doesn't even stop functioning while we are asleep. Um, some of those things slow down. Our muscle movement slows down, but the rest of our body is, is doing the same thing it always does. Um, so, so there's really no need to, you know, worry about fat mass or fat gain when eating late at night. Um, if you find that eating late at night does disrupt your sleep, or if you find that, um, you know, eating late at night, like your, your digestion isn't great, then that's a different story that might warrant some looking into. Generally speaking though, most people do well if they stop eating two hours or so before they go to bed. So there's not really like a fixed time that there's an appropriate that you should stop eating. So like if you eat dinner at seven or eight and you don't go to bed until 10 o'clock, that's fine, right? I have patients all the time be like, oh, like I, just, I get so home so late and I can't ever get dinner until like seven or 7.30. And like, that's fine. What time do you go to bed? 10, 11? 
great. You have plenty of time to digest that dinner. You're not eating later, right? Um, all of these things about, you know, fasting windows and stuff like that. Frankly, there is just no data to support it. Um, I actually did a whole episode on intermittent fasting. If you'd like to go back and look at it, I'll um, link it in the notes. But the data that we have from intermittent fasting that's positive is from animals and it didn't, it has not yet translated into humans. So, and even that was an alternate day fast. It wasn't, um, these like, you know, 16, eight hour window things that people are talking about now, those have shown no efficacy in humans or animals for that matter, alternate day fasting, which is exactly what it sounds like. You don't eat one day and then you eat the next day has shown some benefits, but again, it's only in rat and mice and we don't see any benefit or translation of that evidence in humans. Um, so again, total myth, not substantiated by research. Um, And then the last one I want to talk about is, is red meat. So I have a lot of people who are either worried about, you know, cholesterol and heart health, um, either because of like their own personal history, they're worried about it from their family history. Um, They may be worried about it just because they've like heard red meat is not good for you and they want to like prevent any problems. Um, We used to kind of give the recommendation to eat less red meat if you had things like um, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, um, risk factors for, for heart disease, et cetera. Um, and it kind of morphed into this kind of, you know, to an extent, I'll talk about why that is. And some of it is still true. Um, so the part of it is that's true is that red meat does tend to contain more saturated fat. So saturated fat, to be clear, is only found in animal products. Okay. Um, you will not find saturated fat in any, plant driven products. So things like vegetable oils, um, olive oil, avocados, nuts and nut butters, even fish, like all of that is unsaturated fat. And that is, um, the fat that's actually good for your body, not bad for it. Saturated fat is found only in animal products. So those are things like butter, lard. Um, you know, if you have like a fattier meat, like a steak or or ground beef or things like that, that fat is saturated. And also cheese and dairy products do contain a decent amount of saturated fat. Um, but to an extent, saturated fat will impact your cholesterol. So it can increase your risk for heart disease by way of raising that cholesterol. Um, That said, that pipeline is not nearly as direct as we once thought it was. Um, So that's kind of the same thing goes for eggs. So we used to think that eating cholesterol in eggs was really bad for people who already had high cholesterol or were at risk for high cholesterol or at risk for heart disease. We've kind of since learned that like your intake of saturated fat and cholesterol, which is a form of saturated fat, actually doesn't impact your risk for heart disease as much as we once thought. Um, or, and by risk for heart disease, I mean, it doesn't impact your blood cholesterol as much as we once thought we do know. And this is definitely true. You're, you know, having elevated blood cholesterol definitely puts you at increased risk for heart disease by way of stroke and heart attack. That part's true. That has never changed. What drives that cholesterol? We used to think it was diet and lifestyle factors. And to an extent, that's true. Um, We know that people who don't move enough, who don't drink enough water, who smoke, um, who drink alcohol heavily, um, who, you know, eat diets high in saturated fat, diets that are low in fiber, um, all of those things 
can impact your cholesterol some, but it's also largely driven by genetics and age. Those are actually the two biggest factors in determining what your blood cholesterol will be your genetics and age, which unfortunately we can't do anything about those things. Right. Um, those are, those are things that we cannot change. Um, so the, the therapy for reducing your risk for heart disease, we do focus on the things that we can change, right? Which do, does come into, you know, things like diet, not smoking, alcohol, no, you know, cutting back on alcohol, um, movement, things like that, reducing stress. Um, those are things that are helpful in managing your risk for heart disease. That said, um, I feel like the world kind of took that little nuanced nugget and basically made it sound as if all red meat is bad for you. Um, and I have a lot of people who are, who are just get so tired of, you know, like I eat chicken, like maybe I eat fish, maybe I don't, but fish is expensive or I don't like it. And, you know, sometimes I'll eat pork, but like pork chops anyway, are like very similar to chicken. And I'm just really bored. And it's like, okay, you can eat beef. Like that is fine. Um, you can eat, you can eat fatty red meats, right? You just want to do it in moderation, but there's also a lot of ways to eat red meat where you are quite literally putting yourself at no additional risk. Things like steaks, um, and things of that nature, even ground beef where it, you get either leaner cuts. Um, so something like a strip steak where you have just kind of a small little, margin of fat around it versus, um, something along the lines of a ribeye that has all the marbling in it, right? The strip steak is going to be much leaner. You can see the fat, like that's where the fat is. The white stuff is the fat. You can trim it down. You can cut it off. Most people just don't eat it. Like you might cook it with it on, but then you just don't eat it. A ribeye, it's a little harder because it's kind of intermingled. You can kind of see that throughout it, it's, it's going to be fattier and you're going to eat more of your fat, that fat but that's okay. Sometimes that's, that's perfectly safe. Um, there are also lots of very lean cuts of beef, even ground beef. You know, it may have, you can buy it with a lower fat percentage to start, but once you cook it and if you drain off the fat, you essentially have a lean beef product. Um, so that's, that's okay too. Um, don't feel like you have to, you know, completely cut out red meat and have kind of a more boring life. Um, because there's something that honestly red meat has more of, it has more iron and has some more B vitamins and things like that compared to chicken and fish. Um, chicken and fish have other benefits that, that red meat doesn't have, but it's totally okay to have a balance of both. Um, so, and I think, again, I think it's just like a really big misnomer, um, that we kind of got out there like, Oh, all red meat's bad for you. And it's, it's not, um, and, and to an extent it never was, but also our understanding of what impacts the risk for heart disease has changed somewhat. So, um, so that's all I have for you. Eat your carbs, um, burning, you know, forcing your body to burn fat for fuel does not mean you are going to lose overall body fat. Um, you can eat late at night. Um, there's really no strict cutoff that said, you know, if you notice digestive upset or anything or disrupted sleep, then it might be time to kind of either talk it out with a dietitian, um, or, or kind of, you know, scale back a couple of hours before you, before you go to bed. Um, and red meat is not bad for you. So I, like I said, I would love to hear what you're all's, you know, if there's other things that you want me to debunk or confirm or anything like that, let me know, um, in the comments, send me a direct message. Um, and if you're kind of curious as to how any of these topics apply to you directly, or they apply to, um, 
your health and you just want some one-on-one support, book a discovery call. See what we've got to offer. Um, it's totally free. There's you know no obligation. We're not pushy car salesmen. So um, let us know. Let us know how we can help you. And I uh, look forward to seeing you guys next time.